Um, I'm going to introduce myself properly. I've just got up randomly. Um, you, I am also another redhead, so to be fair, it could have been semi-seamless that, couldn't it? Because we've already had two uh, redheads, although Leah's hair is dyed, so she's not she's not a true ginge, but I won't hold it against her. Are we okay? Are we all right? I can't, I can't see anyone's face, actually. I just see shapes. It's very dark out there. My name's Liam. I'm part of the staff team. I'm not a randomer, although maybe... I am, uh, I'm the youth worker here at STC. Hey, there we go. We're alive, come on. Um, it is my pleasure and privilege to lead uh, Define, and actually Luke and Leah, uh, although they're very young looking, they could be youth, they're actually leaders. They're amazing. But we have got, um, this was not how my intro was supposed to go at all. <laughs> we, uh, I'm already floundering. We, uh, we have some youth in the building tonight. I can't see you. Are you there, Defineisters? There you are. I think it's amazing that we have um, teenagers who are so passionate about God um, coming to church, worshipping. I think it's awesome, and it's a privilege to lead those guys. I've been doing now for sort of seven years or so. It's been amazing. A um, little bit else about me, if you don't know me. I'm married to a wonderful woman called Jo. Uh, she's from near Bradford, but we won't hold that against her. She is amazing. Um, we've been married for nearly seven and a half years now, almost as long as I've been leading Defined. Um, and actually, on Friday night, we, um, we, we realized that it was our 10-year anniversary from our very first date. That was quite exciting. And wh where else would we spend it other than here at SDC doing youth work? <laughs> what can I say? I know how to make a girl feel loved. <laughs> but uh, I, just for the record, I, does this, I don't know if this gets recorded. It probably won't But uh, after the way I've started. But I did actually take Joe out for a proper date last night. And uh, we went to Time Cafe. I had the katsu chicken. I can recommend. It was very, very lovely. So if you're down in Broomhill, get yourself the time. It's amazing. Uh, we've got three kids together, Naomi, Isaac, and Lydia. I don't get a lot of sleep. So if I do mumble tonight, I'm trying. Seven, seven o'clock's late for me. But um, it's lovely to be with you tonight. And I hope you feel really welcome. And it's just great to have you all here with us. So if you have been tracking with our church kind of over the past few weeks, you'll know that we've had a month of vision here at STC. We've been asking the question, what is it that God wants to do with us as a church? How can we be a blessing? How can we serve this amazing city of Sheffield? Tonight, we are going to be starting a brand new series. So I'm going to be kicking that off tonight. And uh, we're going to be uh, looking at something called My Father's Heart. And um, we're in the season now of Lent. And if you're not familiar with Lent, uh, maybe this is kind of like one of your first times in church. Very quickly explain. Lent is a, a kind of season, a period of 40 days, excluding the Sundays from Ash Wednesday till Easter Sunday, which in the Christian church um, is traditionally a time where we will strip things back. You can see the building looks uh, slightly simpler, slightly different. And people will give stuff up. I don't know whether you are doing that for Lent this, uh, this year. I am giving up um, alcohol, not because I'm a raging alcoholic or anything, but I do like a beer on a Friday night after youth, and um, it's a source of comfort for me, um, mainly because it's been, because <laughs> they're great, but I'm tired, and I feel like it's a nice thing. I only have one, don't judge me, but uh, <laughs> it's become a bit of a source of comfort, so I feel like it needs to go. For Tom Finnamore this morning, who was preaching, it's biscuits. So, you know, we, we all have our stuff. Uh, Joe's actually, she's fasted social media, so she's got rid of all of her accounts. I'm not sure uh, which of us is going to go through the greater kind of pain barrier with this, but we'll see. I'll let you know at the end. 
But we're not doing it just to kind of give stuff up for the sake of it so it betters our lives. We're doing it that we might um, experience and discover more of who God is and our need for his love in our life, our need for a savior. And so Lent is a season that is traditionally one that is marked by kind of um, sacrifice and, and kind of stripping things back and simplicity, but it's also a season marked by prayer. And Luke's kind of already shared about the ways in which you can join with our church this season and pray uh, on different days of the week. And we would love for you to take one of those little leaflets uh, and just come join us. Come seek God in prayer because with the state the world's in right now, I think we need to. I think we could all agree on that. And so over the next kind of six weeks or so, we're going to be exploring probably the most famous prayer of all time, which you'll know probably very well, whether you're a Christian or not. These are some of the most famous words of all time. These are the words of Jesus. We're going to look at the Lord's prayer again together. And we're going to spend uh, the next six weeks kind of line by line going through it. And as we do so, kind of our prayer through these familiar but powerful words is that we're going to discover something deeper of the Father's heart, of who kind of God is and, and who we are in him. And that we as a church would, would pray and seek to serve our city in, in a way that um, is following the beat of the Father's heart, what, God hearts, what God's heart beats for. Ours would too. So that's kind of what we're going to be doing this season uh, and why we're focusing on it. And when the Bible talks about heart, um, it's not talking about specifically the physical organ that's beating away in our chest. It's talking about something more, the very like center, the core of who we are, like what motivates us, what kind of gets us out of bed in the morning. So in essence, this Lent, we're going to be asking the question, who is God? really and what is his heart for you for me for his church for this city of Sheffield and we're going to let this prayer be our guide so I think it's going to appear on the screen uh, behind me now these um, it appears in two of the gospels so this is um, uh, this is Matthew's account and I'm just going to read these words for us now this then is how you should pray our father in heaven Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we're going to be focusing on um, the first line, in fact, the first phrase that Jesus gives us in that prayer, our Father in heaven. I wonder if you, uh, if somebody asks you the question, who is God? What's he like? How would you respond to that? Maybe as a Christian, kind of put yourself in that situation. How would you answer? Like say we gave you a piece of pen and paper and you were asked to draw or write your response to that question, who is God? What's he like? What would you, what would you write? comes to mind for you right now? What words, maybe what phrases, what symbols, what characters might you use? Creator, amazing. I wonder what it is for kind of each of us. Maybe just something to ponder. 
our Father. That's how this prayer begins. And so often, you know, and I find this, brush past it like it's almost nothing and try and get to the real part of this prayer, the business of like asking and praying in the kingdom. When actually, if we stopped at just the first two words, it might blow everything else to pieces because it's so earth-shatteringly wonderful. Our Father. How we understand God, how we see God, changes everything about everything else. There was um, a Christian pastor, an author, a guy called A.W. Tozer, and he said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is actually the most important thing about us. Now, whether you agree with that or disagree with that, that's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? And I wonder what the words that maybe sprung to mind for you a minute ago, the pictures you were kind of painting in your head, what do they say about God? But also, what do they say maybe about us? Pete Gregg, um, pastor of Emmaus Road Church, leader of the 24-7 prayer movement. Many of you will know who he is. He's got, he's amazing. He's got some wonderful books out. And in one of them, he says this, and I think it's kind of really helpful. After more than 25 years in pastoral ministry, I've come to the conclusion that most people's biggest problem with prayer is God. They envisage him scowling, perpetually disappointed and disapproving and needing to be placated and persuaded in prayer. If that's how you picture God, I really don't blame you for trying to avoid his gaze. Painful words, but I think actually somewhat true. And if we're going to be a church that is for the city, genuinely for our city of Sheffield, then we are going to need to pray because there are lots of issues in our city. And I think as we come to this season, as we seek to discover the Father's heart and grow in prayer, the problem for us may be perception that unconsciously we carry around this um, impoverished, diminished view of who God actually is. You know, we end up kind of putting him in a box or projecting onto him that which we, we desire God to be. And giving us this prayer, it's as if Jesus, who said he was the way back to the Father, is literally like giving us a roadmap and taking us straight into the beating heart of God. And how does he start that prayer? He says, our Father. Now, these are familiar words to us, but to the disciples hearing them for the first time as Jesus taught them this prayer, that would have been borderline offensive to hear. Because from their own Jewish culture and um, what we now have as the Old Testament, their Bible, they would have known God as being referred to as Father, but they would never, ever in a million years have dreamed or dared believe that Yahweh the Holy One, the creator of the cosmos, the Lord Almighty, could ever be approached, like be, be um, addressed as our Father. Like literally, people in the Old Testament could not look at God without um, perishing. Such was his holiness, such was his glory and his beauty and his purity. And then Jesus is saying, you can pray our Father. It, it, it was mind-blowing. And maybe it doesn't shock us in the same way it does the, 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 maybe those first disciples, but actually, in a way, we're a bit like them because, you know, we can know of God. We can know about God. 
We can even worship God. We can come to church on a Sunday. We can, we can trust him. We can put our hands in the air and say, Jesus, I love you. But we can still never quite grasp the enormity of the fact that God is our father, that we get to call him father. And do you know how I know that? Because that's been my experience at times um, as being a Christian in church. I grew up as a, a kind of Catholic and um, I have nothing against the Catholic Church at all, but my experience was that I, I, I grew up never really, I knew about God, but I never really knew him, if you know what I mean. And after I came to this church, got invited here by my girlfriend, now wife, uh, and did an alpha course and got stuck into church, got, got involved in home groups where people met in each other's lounges and read the Bible together, kind of realized that maybe my view of God wasn't quite the full picture and it needed filling in a bit more. I, um, I remember uh, the, a guy in our young adults small group, um, one of my very good uh, friends now, and um, he, he used to start all his prayers, I think he probably still does actually, <laughs> with um, Daddy. He used to say, Daddy, God. And um, I won't lie, it stunned me as somebody who kind of come from an experience of church that was as an altar boy carrying candles, swinging incense, saying prayers in Latin, to addressing God. And this was from somebody who's a very, very intelligent, uh, put together, um, grown up man, addressing God as daddy. Like, it, it, I still remember it now, and I just, it just blew me away. My um, two eldest kids, Naomi and Isaac, being six and four, they have um, a very childish sense of humor. And one of the things they like to do is annoy us as parents. And they choose to do it in various ways. Um, one of them is that they will spend a day uh, calling us by our first names. <laughs> so they will, um, we'll get, I'll get in from work and it'll be, uh, how was your day, Liam? <laughs> or, um, what's for tea tonight, Joe? Oh, can you help me with this, Liam? It's so annoying. <laughs> You're like, hey, hey, it's daddy to you. And, you know, silly story. Who's God? What's his heart for us? I mean, that's a big question, isn't it? But I think it's no accident that Jesus began this prayer with the name by which we are to address God as his children, as father. Because how we relate to God and how we relate to others shifts on how we understand those first two words. Everything else flows from there. And maybe tonight, Jesus is wanting to bring to us maybe a different lens by which to view God in prayer. If I can, I'd love to just um, put up another scripture for us to think on tonight. Just one that kind of came to mind as um, I was praying about all of this. And I think it gives us another glimpse of the Father's heart, my father's heart. So this is um, a passage from Romans 8, very famous words. Again, I'm just going to read these for us now, show a couple of things, and then I'm going to ask um, our worship team to come back up in a little bit and lead us in response. But this is um, the Apostle Paul's words speaking about the Father. He says this, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, 
Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. They are amazing words. I, I don't know how many times I've come across those words, but every time they get me. In the Greek, um, in the language of the New Testament, the word for father that we kind of see tonight in that first reading from Matthew, our father, is pater. In Aramaic, the language that Jesus would have spoken in kind of Jewish culture, he uses, he often used the word Abba. And Paul uses it again in that reading, Abba. And it's, it's a word that um, in that culture, little children would have used when um, talking to their father. And as I've kind of read around it a little bit more, I actually see that maybe it was also grown-ups, used by grown-ups as well to address um, parents. So it could be daddy, it could be more than daddy, it could be papa. We, we don't really have a word like it in English that accurately conveys something of the meaning of the, the, the cry Abba. But it is intimate, it is love, and it is the language of family. And Jesus, in teaching the disciples this prayer was saying something so radical. He was saying that the God who spoke the world into existence, who flung the stars into space, knows your name, and he's on your side, and he's welcomed you in. And by him, Paul says, you can cry, Abba, Daddy, Papa, Father. And so often, do you know, I find this, we find ourselves approaching God in prayer as if it were a task, as if it were something we have to do for him, as if we could give God anything he doesn't already have in order to, in order to please him, in order to appease him, in order to tick a box, even for you know, good reasons such as to, um, to, to, be, to be a blessing to the city. But you know what? We, we come, I do, with the mindset sometimes of a servant. Jesus, in this prayer, calls us to come as a son. We come as a servant with a mindset of a servant. Jesus calls us to come as a son. Our Father. We don't start from the point of view of, here's all the stuff I've done for you, God, and now will you answer my prayer? Here's all the good stuff that I've done, Lord. Now, like, like I know you're going to hear my prayer. We start from the point of acceptance. And what Jesus is teaching his disciples through this prayer is flipping everything on its head for them. That prayer isn't so much actually about asking for stuff. First and foremost, it's about learning to receive. In our modern culture, which kind of defines itself on being self-sufficient, on being the master of your own ship, and um, kind of taking control of your own destiny, Jesus' words show us that the Father's heart is that we discover our true identity, our true value in him and him alone, and not what we do, but what he's done for us in our Father. Like, um, like many of you, many, all of us, I've been um, so deeply affected and moved by the kind of escalating crisis that we see in Eastern Europe at the moment in Ukraine. And um, if I'm honest, I, I struggle to actually look at the news at the minute. Um, I want to know what's happening, but I also don't, if you know what I mean. 
uh, today alone has, has kind of brought almost new lows in what is already a, you know, such a horrific situation. Um, there's been so many harrowing stories and examples of grief and suffering. But one kind of image that I've seen on a news broadcast really sort of haunts me still, and it's of a, a father um, putting their, his hand up to the window of um, a train window, uh, and his son's hand is behind the glass, and he's on the other side, and the doors are shutting. And um, I don't know, just from one father to another, just kind of guts me to think that somebody has no choice they're in that position where they are sending their family off and they don't know what the future is going to hold for them. And they're then heading back into a war zone to pick up a gun and fight. It just seems abhorrent. It seems inconceivable to me. And yet, you know, as I looked at this prayer and I thought about it a little bit more, I think Jesus, in giving these words, our Father, was a huge thing for him to do because it was pointing to the sacrifice, the greatest sacrifice that he would pay, that the father would pay on the cross. The price that he was willing to, 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 to pay in order that we might find a way back to God the father. That moment when Jesus would cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, who prayed, Father, loses Father in that moment so that we could then step into a place of prayer and pray our Father. We get to pray his prayer. The Father's heart is that we shift from the mindset of being a, a servant, um, a slave for God, and that we realize that actually we're a son. That we're a son or daughter and that we belong to him. Paul writes that the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. He uses the word adoption. One of my um, roles at the minute is that I work for a primary school and I work with children who have kind of gone through the adoption process. And I, I see a little bit of what life is kind of like for them. I don't really know if I'm honest with you, but what I am coming to see through connecting with them and their parents, is that the adoption process is such a powerful thing, more powerful than we could ever really know, unless that has been your story. And to offer that to a child is an amazing thing. Because as it does, still does today, in those times, the word adoption that Paul uses refers to a kind of legal institution, as it were. Right? In Roman culture, um, the people Paul was writing to, it was always done by a man with an estate without a natural heir to inherit it all. And Paul, kind of in saying this to the church, was saying that this is what God does for you, has done for each of us, irrespective of your gender, your race, your background, that through Jesus' blood shed on the cross, we're cleansed, we're restored, we are freed from sin, rescued from sin, and welcomed, adopted into a new heavenly family. We move from the poverty of sin and death and we receive the riches, the inheritance of a son or a daughter, an heir to the king. What does it mean? What does all that mean? I don't really know. 
But a couple of things, just to, before I end, to kind of throw out there. I think it means that as sons and daughters, we get what we don't deserve. Think about when a child's adopted into a family. Say you were a genius and you came up with a miracle product that was a global sensation and you became a millionaire, a billionaire, and then you decided to adopt a child. That child then has a right, an inheritance to your kind of estate. And what have they done to earn any of that? Absolutely nothing. That child is now entitled to the inheritance because they're a member of that family. And because of our heart's natural desire to, to stray away from our creator, we ultimately deserve death. That's what the Bible says. But in adoption into God's family, we're going to inherit glory. That's what this prayer is showing us. That our future is way beyond our imagination. We were singing about it that, that earlier, that we're going to be with the King of Kings, worshipping the Father, the Spirit, the Son, seeing his beauty, his majesty. Praise forever to the King of Kings. We get what we don't deserve. And I think it also means that we get an access like no other. When a child's adopted into a new family, they have, they have a, a, a new legal, but also, of course, personal access that nobody else in the world has other than a child within that family. And where our sin had created this seeming like impenetrable barrier between us and our creator, what we now have is an unconditional access to the father's protection and his his presence. He's never not with us as followers of Jesus. The door of prayer is always open to us. It's never shut. My kids demonstrate this wonderfully to me. The door is never shut, even when it is shut at 3 a.m. in the morning. And Isaac wanders in, which he generally does most nights, and tells me that he needs a wee. And I told him that he should have gone early. And I'm like, dude, you need to go back to bed. And sometimes he just wants a cuddle. And I think, do you know what? I'm not going to kick him out. Even though I just want some sleep. Lord, I just want some sleep. I'm not going to kick him out. That's a bit of a silly picture, but it's a fraction of the Father's love for us. He's never going to turn us away. His heart is always turned to you, to me. Why? Because his son paid the price on the cross to secure our, us as, as slaves, freedom. And what does that really mean? It means that Jesus gave up the rights as a son, as God's beloved son, that we might be brought into that family. It means that we get to pray the words that Jesus prayed, that he, he taught his disciples, that we saw in tonight's Bible reading, our Father in heaven. It means that when the Father looks at you, he looks at me, he doesn't see a mess. He sees his son. He sees Jesus. And his heart is that we would know him. We'd be with him. And we'd ask him as our father. And I wonder how things might change if as individuals, as a church, we truly grasp something of that. How would that change? What would it look like if we walked around knowing that?
spend another part of my week working with another organization who work with young people in crisis who are on the verge of being kicked out of school kind of at 15, 16 years old. And they put them in a different kind of environment, kind of around a kind of a, almost like an extended family of people, not just offering them education, but hope and, uh, and a way forward in life. And I've seen up close and personal the damage that is done through family breakdown and the pain and the struggle that can cause. I, um, I heard of a report a number of years ago that made kind of the national news. But basically, I think it said something like that there was, an, in the UK, over a million children growing up without a meaningful connection to their biological father. And I know as I say these words that potentially that's, that, res that resonates profoundly for people in this room. And I'm not saying that to drag up any traumatic wounds, but I'm just saying that our nation is experiencing something of um, fatherlessness right now. And as we kind of come into this season of Lent, as we as a church kind of seek to grow in prayer, as we seek to be a blessing to the city, I think that the only way that we're going to be able to share something of God's love with those around us is if we have first ourselves received and surrendered to the love the Father has for us. We have a world right now in crisis. We have a nation torn up by Brexit, by COVID, by family breakdown. We have a city with rising poverty, with a sense of like hopelessness about it. We need to pray, guys. And we don't need to pray because we should pray, because we're ticking a box and doing the right thing. We do it because we can. And we do it because we, we need to know the intimacy and the blessing and the inheritance and the authority that comes from the place of knowing that we're a son and daughter of our Heavenly Father. So that we can get equipped and empowered to be sent out to love, to serve and bless wherever it is that God's placed us. I'll end with this. Perhaps the Apostle John, I think, kind of sums this all up way better than I ever could in a handful of words. And maybe let this be our prayer for us as a church this Lent. He says this, that we would see the great love the Father has lavished upon us, upon you, me, that we should be called children of God, for that is what we are. Before we even start, but that is what we are, and that is what we are, and that's what we're going to pray for now. So, um, our worship leaders tonight, um, hopefully, they're still with us. There we are, there's Sam. So, I really can't see hardly anyone's face other than Luke's, but he's got a lovely face, so it's a nice one to look at. Um, we're going to create the time now simply to uh, respond, to create space to worship now together, and to rediscover to discover maybe for the first time that father's heart.